That is what we've been looking at in this sermon series here in the month of October on discipleship DNA, where we talk about maybe <clears throat> some characteristics or some traits or maybe some discipleship genes uh, that we might notice as we go through the scriptures about that which uh, describes a, a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've looked at um, uh, several messages so far where we looked at uh, disciple gathers together with the church to worship and to spur one another on to good deeds and to encourage one another. Last week we saw that disciples seek maturity uh, by making it a priority in life and we talked about the significance of that. Today we're going to look at a passage of scriptures, one of my favorite, about describing the church out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, where Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus and he urges them to grow spiritually so that the church will be strengthened by the unity of mature believers working together. And that, that is such an important concept that we really need to see in that passage of Scripture. And that's why the, the sermon title is then that, that we strengthen the church. We gather together, we worship so, we can, so that we can, true believers can strengthen the church. And my hope and prayer in all of this has been that we come to realize the necessity of spiritual maturity as believers in Jesus Christ. Because you see, uh, life is about growth, and spiritual life is about growth. And unfortunately, like the video has pointed out for us, you know, we make plans for a lot of things in life, but do we really plan about growing in our relationship with God and becoming a mature believer? Well, let's look at Paul's passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and see what he says to us as a challenge to those of us who are willing to be true disciples and to, to be true disciples for the betterment of the church, for the strengthening of the life and ministry of the church. This is what Paul says. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, very quickly this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. And, and before we do, just really get to the meat of it and think about what it's calling us to do. Uh, we need to understand that there are three basic reasons why Paul had to write this letter and urge these believers to grow spiritually. Number one was the issue of immaturity. He talks about the fact that then when we grow up, we will no longer be infants. Now, Paul is being kind in, in, in the way that this is translated. Because the actual Greek language uses a word that literally would be translated instead of infants, is translated ignorant or stupid. So Paul said, I don't want you to grow up and be ignorant or stupid. I want you to move beyond being an infant. See, there was a lot of immaturity 
that was going on. Un- uh, immature believers in Christ. And so Paul is saying, you need to grow up so that you won't be immature. Then there's instability. We mentioned it briefly last week when we saw the, the winds of the hurricane, Matthew blowing. They said he described as being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. That's instability. We watched it last week as the, as the winds blew the trees and they kept going like this and blown about. I saw uh, this weekend traveling back and forth from uh, James Island to Mount Pleasant for the wedding uh, that uh, there were some sailboats that were even blown up into the marsh out of the Charleston Harbor. They were tossed around. And, and Paul says, without solid, sound theology and growing to spiritual maturity, you're going to be caught by every wind of doctrine. And you're going to be tossed about. And then there was a third one, and that one is gullibility. <clears throat> Instability, immaturity, and gullibility. Why would he say gullibility? He says, because by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He's talking about falling prey there to all kinds of scams. And the church and church people, immature believers, are gullible victims of the lure of cults and scams all the time. I didn't bother to check this out. I had a quick week this week. But I read in some preparation for this that one pastor was writing to talk about the fact that on eBay, you can go shopping on eBay, and for $31.50, you can get an autographed copy of the picture of Jesus. And people are buying it. That's gullibility. There was also a kit that contained holy water from the Jordan River, olive oil, and a secret stone. That any of those put on your body in any proportion will bring about spiritual healing. You'd have to haul a whole lot of water and oil and rocks. And how are you going to do that with weight limits on planes and all that kind of stuff like that? But the gullibility, those aren't um, anti-Christian people doing that. And there's no telling how many believers have been milked by televangelists. There's a lot of gullibility in the life of the church. So Paul describes this kind of environment in which we need to grow. And we're reminded that it's in the life of the church he talks about. Because that's where we've been given people who will teach us and talk to us and mold us and shape us so that we all then come to be prepared for the works of God's people. You see, it's the church where this happens. And that's, that's why Jesus established the church. That's why Jesus died to establish the church. That's why early believers that we see in the scriptures gathered together without having to be really mandated to do so. So that they could grow and mature together. We're in the midst of uh, college football season, I guess maybe halfway through. Uh, NBA, uh, National Basketball, Pro Basketball, if you watch that, starting to kick up, I think, with some uh, uh, preseason games. NFL football is in about its third or fourth week, and all of them wanting to play uh, in the Super Bowl. And now in, in the uh, Pro Baseball, they're into the playoffs for the division title and for the League title for American League and National League. One thing that they always want is they want that home field advantage. If you're a sports fan, you, you've heard that term before. That we love to play in our own stadium, our own field before our own fans or something about that. Does that really help? A home field advantage. Well, a few years ago, a sports columnist did a study on that. 
The difference between away games and home games is the statistics on the teams, and this is what he found out. In the National Football League, the home team won 57% of the time. That's a pretty good win-loss record. In the National Basketball Association, the home team won 60% of the time. In Major League Baseball, the home team won 55% of the time. And in the National Hockey League, the home team won 55% of the time. Okay. So he said, what does that have to do with spiritual maturity? Well, I'm relating it to the church. This is your home field advantage that you have in the life of the church. And Paul says, this is where you've been given teachers and prophets and pastors, those who can help you grow beyond an infant, infant stage in your spiritual life and walk with God and grow to maturity to do the works of service so that the church will move on and be unified in its strength. Now, very quickly, let's look at the meat of this passage of Scripture as it talks to us about growing in the life of the church to strengthen the church. And number one, Paul says that we have a mandate for spiritual growth. You cannot avoid that anywhere in the Bible. Over and over and over again, it talks about the fact that when we come to Christ, we are born again, we become his babes, and we have to take that soft food and milk and all that. But when we grow, we're supposed to leave those elementary things behind, never forgetting them, but build upon them and grow towards maturity in our faith. Spiritual maturity is what the Bible is all about and stresses us to be. You know, spiritual babes, though, come in all sizes because oftentimes they never grow beyond that. Some research this week supported the fact that Guinness Book of World Records says the average weight, average weight of a newborn is seven pounds, six ounces. That's the average weight. The smallest recorded surviving newborn was born in Chicago and weighed 8.6 ounces. The largest child, mamas, you've gone through childbirth, think about this one. The largest child born was reported in Italy weighing 22 pounds and 8 ounces. Yeah, I feel your pain. (laughs) But there are some big babies gathered right here. Some of them 180 to 200 and maybe more than that. Because you haven't grown up. You just haven't grown up. What is a mature Christian? I like the way Charles Swindoll describes it. Here's a grown-up Christian. A grown-up Christian displays wisdom, self-discipline, and commitment to a consistent walk with Christ. He or she is determined to obey God regardless of the cost, to seek regular nourishment from His Word. A mature Christian strives to reach out and care for others. Such an individual willingly shoulders his or her responsibilities with a contagiously positive attitude. That's what a mature grown-up Christian is. Now you measure yourself by that. See, that is a mandate for us to achieve. And Paul writes about that in Colossians 2, and he uses that same analogy. So he says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, that's a tree analogy. Trees grow until the day that they die. It's interesting to see some of the trees on James Island that had fallen, had been torn down in the wind. One in particular was this huge tree. I don't know how many feet in diameter it was. But it had broken off about 45, 50 feet up up the tree. And you could see that the reason it did is that's where it was rotten. 
That's where something was wrong with it. And when it broke, it just snapped and came, unfortunately, right down on the top of a house. It happened a week ago and Saturday afternoon even, riding by there. The residents of that home were outside just looking like, what do we do? They, they just didn't know what to do. So what is this tree analogy for us that, that we, we don't grow? See, you know how you can determine when somebody is dying on the outside? They stop learning. People stop learning. They stop maturing. And they stop caring. So what does it mean by they've stopped learning? Well, they don't have anything new. They haven't added anything to their testimony. It's still 40 or 50 years old as to when they got saved. There's nothing new. They're not reading anything. They haven't been to any conference. They're not in Bible study. Nothing new in their life. What about when they stop maturing? Well, you know that they've stopped maturing because there's not any change in their character. They reached a certain level and they stopped. And then they stopped caring. Well, how do you know when they stopped caring? Well, they stopped caring. Well, they just don't care anymore about spiritual maturity and growth. But Paul says, we have a mandate. We have a mandate to spiritual growth. And being stunted in spiritual growth can happen to anyone. That's why we need to focus on this mandate to spiritual growth. Now, secondly, Paul says, we have a motive for spiritual growth. Now, we always want to know, well, what's in it for me? Now, what, what is the reason for doing this? There was a time that it used to be that church generations would hear the Word of God and they would simply obey it, but not today. We live in a culture that says, I've got a limited amount of time. I've got all these other interests that take part of my time. So, if this is something that's important and I need to be about why? What is it for me? What's, what's the benefit from this? Well, it benefits not only you in terms of spiritual growth, but it benefits the church. That's the whole thing I'm pointing out here. It strengthens the church when we all seek spiritual maturity. And why? Well, there are three basic reasons. Number one, to understand our diversity. You know, I find it amazing that people today don't realize how diverse we are as a church. And I'm just talking about Spring Valley. We're a very diverse church in terms of age, background, likes, dislikes, all of that. We come from a lot of different backgrounds, spiritual-wise, church-wise. And there are all kinds of Christians, all kinds of believers. And there's a great diversity to the body of Christ worldwide, but we even have a, a slim portion of that here. So by this time, I would hope that you have understood that there are all kinds of different Christians. Not everybody looks like you. Not everybody talks like you. Not everybody dresses like you do. See, there are short-haired Christians. There are long-haired Christians. There are no-haired Christians. There are white-collar Christians. There are blue-collar Christians. There are no-collar Christians. There are Baptist Christians. Methodist Christians, can you believe that? Pentecostal Christians, you know, Christians from every walk of life. But we have an affinity that we are attracted to PLU. I've told you that before. You remember what that stands for? People like us. I mean, that's just human nature. We gravitate towards people like us. Here's a distinguishing mark about understanding your diversity. That, that if you've begun to reach spiritual maturity where you understand your diversity then spiritual maturity means that you probably aren't spending time 
trying to figure out whether other people around you are mature or not. So we want to reach our, our diversity and understand that. Second, we want to encourage our unity. Whenever you go back and you trace the story and the history and the success of the church, they developed unity out of their diversity. And we have to do the same thing today because we're so much like that pre-Christian culture in which the church was birthed. And there was so much diversity. I mean, go back and look at the people. There were slaves. There were rich people. There were fishermen. There were tax gatherers. There were prostitutes. I mean, there was all over the board from the culture of society. And out of that diversity, they came to experience unity. And Paul says that's so important until we all reach unity in the faith. What's so significant about unity? Well, that's when we are able to work together and function together. We've got one purpose, one goal in mind, to be the church, to to make disciples, to, to reach people. And sometimes that means we have to be a little bit uncomfortable in what we have to do. But that's a part of the the unity out of our diversity. You see, one of the strongest reasons for that is the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. That we would all be one like what? Like he and the Father are one. When we are united, we have a power that allows us to be successful for the kingdom of God. And then the third reason we need to seek spiritual maturity is because we need to strengthen our ministry. The major reason we grow to spiritual maturity is to strengthen the ministry. He says in verse 16, from him the whole body, as described in the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When you think about the diversity in our church, if everybody was just like you, or somebody else was exactly like you, one of you wouldn't be necessary. Because we don't need but one like you. Because we all have a part to play. Paul's describing the body. And he says every ligament, everything. We talk about the big organs, your brain, you know, your skin. I think the skin's the largest organ, isn't it? Your heart, your kidneys, your liver, all of those things. But what about all your tendons and your ligaments and all of that? All of that has to work. Met one of our members hobbling down the hall this morning. I said, you look like you're in pain. You're hobbling. I said, I got a bone spur. You know, when something is not right in the body... It hurts, doesn't it? So we want to strengthen the ministry. Think about all the thing about this when you get in your car to drive it. We basically think about the major things. You know, look at the tires, they got air in them, put the key in the ignition, you turn it, it crank, you put it in gear and it goes forward. Okay, it's working. I'm told, I don't know much about mechanical parts and all, but I'm told that over 14,000 or so working parts in a car at, at all times when it's working right. That's kind of the way you can picture the church. However many people are in the life of the church, they're all working. They might not have the same job, and they don't. But we all work together doing our part. Not necessarily doing our thing, because that could be different than the purpose and the unity of the church. But all working together to achieve the same thing. You got a few parts in your car not working, you know it. Right? 
Then let's sum it up by saying then, we have a measure of our maturity. How do we know whether we're reaching spiritual maturity? Well, a lot of ways you could choose a standard uh, of somebody that you could pick out that might be inferior to you, which most of us might do, and say, boy, compared to that person, I'm, I'm looking pretty good. I'm pretty mature. But how about if you take the measure that Paul gives us here? It's not somebody who's fairly mature. It's not a Sunday school teacher, not a deacon, not a pastor, not a family member. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that that standard, that standard of Jesus Christ is how we measure our spiritual maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, our standard in measuring maturity is the fullness of Jesus Christ. And he says you're attaining to it. It means you're a work in progress. None of us have reached it yet. And how do we attain that maturity in Christ? Well, we don't just imitate Christ. We surrender our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, then the Holy Spirit begins His work in our life, working within us, bringing us to look more like Jesus in our maturity that is produced by the Holy Spirit. And then you go back to the three reasons as to why Paul wrote this letter. There was instability, there, there was the infant, infanthood, and, and there, was, uh, there was the lack of growth and maturity that resulted in unity. Gullibility was there. So what happens when we grow like this? Well, there's spiritual stability. He says you're no longer tossed a back and forth. You're no longer infants. It means that you're maturing spiritually and you're sound theologically. And then when you are maturing, there is loving speech that results. In verse 15, speaking the truth in love. So that's a sign and mark of a mature Christian that you'll speak the truth. You ever had anybody come to you and say, I just want you to know what I'm about to tell you is going to hurt. The truth needs to be spoken, but it needs to be spoken in love. What I'm about to tell you is the truth. Be careful. They're getting ready to hurt you. And sometimes people say things in the life of the church. Not spoken in love. It might be true, but it's not spoken in love. Somebody gets hurt. And then the third thing that is a product of spiritual maturity is living service. A mature Christian is serving God in the living body of Christ. By every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, spiritually mature people are willing to serve and not just sit back. And get fed. So there is our mandate to spiritual growth. So that disciples seek spiritual maturity to strengthen the ministry of the church. Spiritual maturity is God's intention, His intended purpose for you as His follower. And the challenge is, 
Will you accept that challenge for spiritual maturity and grow in Christ to strengthen this church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that continues to lead us and guide us and speak truth to us and give us guidance as we grow in our life, our spiritual life, and our relationship with you. Father, I pray that we will be willing to become fully devoted followers of you and that we will be willing to seek spiritual maturity for the strength of this church and our ministry here as we seek to reach our community for you. Father, I pray these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and who is our measure for maturity. And we pray that we are continuing to seek that as we are attaining to that maturity of faith in Jesus Christ. In His name, amen.